Hello, thank you for joining us for this podcast interview with Amy Campos on her PhD research about Chilean rural history in the late 19th to early 20th century. So thank you for agreeing to participate in this interview, Amy. Can you introduce yourself for our audience? Hi, so my name is Amy Campos. I received my PhD this month from the University of California, San Diego in Latin American history. And as uh, Jordan mentioned, I focus on Chilean rural history, specifically the Araucania region um, in the late 19th century. Great, so starting from the origins, uh, tell us why you decided to do a PhD in uh, history. I decided to do a PhD in history because I really, really liked history. <laughs> uh, I was originally intending to go to law school and I was in my fourth year of undergrad at UCLA. And I remember sitting in my capstone seminar that was on Soviet history. And I was hearing all these really interesting stories from my professor going to the archive, getting drunk with the archivists, finding all kinds of interesting documents. And I think for the first time I thought, well, what if I don't go to law school and kind of satisfy the hopes and dreams of my immigrant parents and I do, um, what I really want to do, which is this. And I went for it. So I took a couple years to learn a bit of French and German. I took courses in European history, which is what I thought I'd do, but I somehow ended up in Latin American history. So it was a long and winding path, but you know, it's something that I've really enjoyed since I was a kid. So uh how did your experience during the PhD uh, change so that you ended up wanting to do Latin American history? And then how did you develop this, this research project that you made? So I originally was doing a project in this other master's program that I was in on um, basically on the Holocaust period. So that's probably why I was taking a lot of German. Um, and I was really interested in how these networks of Germans ended up outside of Europe. I mean, I knew that they had left. I knew that Nazis had fled after World War II, but I thought they must have gotten to South America earlier. So why were they there to begin with? And I was in contact with a professor at UC San Diego who was working on 19th century scientific exploration. Um, which contributed to these kind of outposts and these um, communities of Europeans. And, you know, they had interacted frequently in the 19th century. And that's that was kind of my inroad into Latin America through German scientific exploration through these diasporic communities of Germans. And that's how I ended up learning more about the Araucania and their European history programs that I was interacting with were not necessarily interested in a project that bridged both European and Latin American history, but when I spoke to Latin Americanists, this seemed natural to them. So they're like, yeah, of course, 19th century historians know something about the US, they know something about Europe. It was not foreign to them at all, and they were much more welcoming of my interests. So yeah, that's how I ended up there. Great. Um... So can you tell us about this, uh, your dissertation? So congratulations on recently submitting this. Uh, could you give us a summary of, of what your project ended up being? 
Yeah, thank you so much. Um, my project is basically a history of the first 20 years after the Araucanía is occupied by um, essentially by the Chilean state. Um, so in particular, my four chapters look at different different segments of the Chilean Ministry of Colonization. So I look at the everyday experiences and interactions of Chilean bureaucrats who work for the Ministry of Colonization and how they interacted with various groups in the Araucanía. This would include Mapuche indigenous groups. This included Europeans that they had recruited from Europe to um, occupy the region and also everyday Chileans who were in some ways excluded from this process of land redistribution. And I also look at, um, along with bureaucrats, I look at other uh, sets of bureaucrats like um, engineers who were charged with mapping the territory and helped these other bureaucrats at the Ministry of Colonization redistribute the land to um, primarily these European colonos. But a lot of my dissertation looks at the friction and conflicts that emerge throughout this 20 year period of um, land redistribution and displacement of Mapuche indigenous communities. And uh, what were the kind of main guess, arguments, stroke findings uh, of your work? Uh, and how do you feel this contributes to, to our knowledge of this period in Chilean history? Yeah, so I should mention that Chilean historians have been working on this period for a really long time, and there's been fantastic anthropological and historical works that I that were very influential to me um, as I was constructing this project. But one of the things that I would notice in these works was that they focused a lot on state Mapuche relationships, and there were certain demographics that were in the background of this larger story. And they focused on state Mapuche relationships, rightly so, because of contemporary conflicts that still exist today between the Chilean state and, um, and the Mapuche. Um, I was really interested in learning more about what the Chilean state looked like in the everyday lives of local communities in the Araucanía. And what I found is that the everyday face of the Chilean state was the bureaucrat in the local regional office that you had to go and interact with if you wanted to obtain a land title, try to get your land back, et cetera. So what my dissertation essentially argues is that for us to really understand the state's relationship to local communities in the Araucanía, you really need to understand the experiences of these local bureaucrats as they understood, implemented, and interpreted uh, these land policies, because they're really the ones who are making a lot of the local decisions on the ground. Um, so I'm going to uh, move to focus on like the, the research that you did for this this project. Uh, so you know, the part that I find the most kind of enjoyable uh, as you get to spend time in Chile using archives and engaging in society there. So I was wondering what archives and sources did you use uh, in order to, to write this dissertation and make these arguments? Yeah, so the archives in Chile are really centralized, um, which is a, a blessing and a curse. Um, and I spend a lot of my time in Santiago at the National Archives at the 
uh, Archivo Nacional Histórico, which is kind of traditionally also known as the 19th century archive. And there I found a lot of interesting documentation, obviously from the Ministry of Foreign Relations. So I used government documents, correspondence. Uh, I did find clips of newspapers that were really interesting uh, in tendency reports. And a lot of them sort of helped me gain not only a sense of what uh, the lay of the land was at the time, so what were the pressing issues for local communities in the region, but also I really ended up gravitating a lot toward the stories and the challenges that these local bureaucrats were facing because I went into the archive thinking they have a, they are in charge of enacting the policies that are emanating from Santiago so they are going in with a single vision that's unchallenged and that's not what I found and I, I found that really really compelling that they would sometimes argue back and say well you're not taking into account what we're actually facing uh, every day um, the fact that we're running out of money. We don't have money for interpreters. We can't talk to the Mapuche because we don't have an interpreter and you won't pay for one. Um, local Chilean communities are feeling really left out of this land distribution project. So I was able to access a lot of the friction and tension that I found really interesting. Um, I also went to the local um, uh, Ministry of Foreign Relations. They have a Archivo Historico. Uh, that was a little harder to access, but still very well organized. Everything that I ran into, fortunately, was really um, well organized. Um, I went to the ARNAD, um, the Archivo de la Administración, everything again within kind of a 15-minute uh, metro ride. And I found a lot of land kind of records there. I found a lot of petitions, reclamos um, there as well. I was also fortunate enough to be able to go to the uh, regional archive in the Araucanía. Again, very well organized. And I ran into amazing archivists there who helped me find more intendancy records, more um, records from the, uh, from the Juzgado Civil, which were also very kind of specific to that area. And I couldn't find those in Santiago. Um, but those helped me as well figure out, at least from the, at least not my Puche perspective, what, um, how were they making arguments to keep their land? So that, that for me was really important to, to try to access, you know, these documents. I mean, we know they're imperfect, right? They, um, it's hard to get at these voices, you know, especially through state documents but it was one kind of imperfect method to try to do that. So uh, Amara, you were there for one year doing research in Chile, is that right? Yeah. So how did you, because you mentioned there about uh, kind of adapting to what you found in the original, in the uh, Archivo Historico about uh, kind of friction. I was wondering how did your, your research experience for that year, how did you adapt? Like, did you uh, have other experiences where you had to kind of adapt what your original research questions were uh, and then change or include new archives uh, that you came across during that year? Yeah, so my original experience or my original expectation was to write a history of the engineers as a map de Araucanía. So if any of you 
have read a read craze cartographic Mexico, I thought, man, if I could write something like cartographic Chile or try to get at some of the really kind of interesting and influential questions that I found in that book, uh, that'd be great. But it did not become cartographic Chile, um, in part because I became really invested in these bureaucrats that were, like I said, that I, I believe to be kind of the face of the state on the local level in the Araucania. I had a lot of documentation on certain people and I began following that trajectory. So I think the fact that I went in with a rough sketch of what I ideally would want to find, but found other information that I found so compelling that I think, and I think this happens to every historian, you go in expecting one thing and then you go down these rabbit holes and I think having the privilege of being able to sit at the archive for a year and explore these different avenues and uh, spend time in certain volumes that may or may not lead to anything, I think that's really what ultimately ended up shaping this dissertation and having that itch of like, well, maybe I'll just get one more volume and see if I find anything of use there. Um, yeah, having that freedom and that kind of sense of I have enough time to follow my curiosity. I think that's really what shaped the project. Great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great opportunity to have that year um, to explore freely. Um, yeah. So I was wondering as well, because you were moving around different places, uh, how did you connect with the local community uh, in terms of like the academic community in Chile as well as the non-academic community? Yeah, I think... I think that going in there and speaking with a Mexican accent definitely helped. <laughs> I, I went in and I also, since, I mean, I've talked to you about this before, Jordan, since my experience is more with rural Mexico, where my family's from, I came in and as soon as I walked into the reading room, I was just like, Buenos dias, you know, which maybe you're not supposed to do in a reading room that's like super quiet, but that kind of you have to talk to people and to push yourself to talk to these archivists and say good morning every morning even if they look at you like can you not <laughs> um it, it did help me establish some relationship and they're like yeah you're not around from you're not from here are you <laughs> but um that initial conversation sort of opened opened up a lot of avenues and friendships and um being able to just sit outside of the archive on the steps of the Archivo Nacional Histórico, waiting for your pedidos to come, waiting for your volumes to come and just kind of asking people, hey, so what are you finding? What are you here for? Um, yeah, I think that's how I, I built some of the best relationships, both academically and non-academically. It's like, can I sit there and have an empanada with all the other uh, historians who are here doing some work and, you know, let's just smoke a cigarette and talk about what we're finding or what we're here for and um, who we know. When I went originally, I think I knew maybe like one or two people in the country. So it was just really daunting. And I thought I need to, I need to meet people. <laughs> I need to really push myself to get, which is hard because as we were mentioning before we started this podcast, you know, historians, I think can be very introverted people and it's hard to really push yourself to talk and you feel like you're just there for one thing. But I found that, you know, I, I've made amazing friendships there and I feel like I have a second family in Santiago now so yeah it was great. Excellent yeah 
I mean, the, these conversations that we have in the research places really help us. I mean, not just for the research, but to enjoy parts of our life where we spend, you know, a lot of our, our whether it be physical time or mental time in these countries. I think it's really helpful to, you know, to have connections there, have friends there, uh, to go for a coffee, go for dinner. Or alcohol and cigarettes, uh, as you alluded to. <laughs> um, so, uh, how did this uh, experience uh, in the country support your research, uh, and how did it benefit the, the personal experience that you had? So, how does the experience in the country support my research? Yeah. So, how did the sorry? How did your uh, experience with the local community, academic and non-academic, how did it support your research? Um, and benefit you in your personal experience? I think that's a really interesting question. I think one of the things that I learned from the historians that I interacted with, I, I was really lucky to be really supportive historians. One of the things that I think I learned from them a lot was being open to finding different things and being open to just being maybe having my project change, you know, it would be a bit more flexible and taking it in a different direction than maybe what I was anticipating. So I think that once I had created my proposal for Fulbright, I felt like I was pretty rigid. I almost felt like I had my chapters laid out and, you know, the historians that I met there, some of them had had research gigs there where they had been through all kinds of volumes as a part of their job and they said, well, you know, you came in with one idea, but you never know. Maybe look in this uh, portfolio. Maybe look over here. You might find something completely different. Uh, they were also very organized in how they had like, cataloged their work, partially because of their research gigs. So I think I would have wanted to do that in practice. My um, volumes are still kind of unorganized, but that's another thing that I think I try to take away from them. Be organized, back everything up, um, but also to try to write a little bit as I'm also reading and digesting. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It might not become a volume at all, but just try to write a little bit every day. So I think the act of researching is something that I think I, I learned from them. Great. Um, <clears throat> so moving away from the, the kind of research focus uh, I guess the final question on, on the PhD itself is uh, why does this research topic uh, matter uh, and how do you hope that people will take this research forward oh that's a good question um, I think it matters for I mean, the obvious reason would be that there's still a contentious relationship between the Chilean state and the Mapuche today and the maps that I, I had a chance to look at are still being used by Mapuche families today. I had a chance to see that kind of firsthand when I was sitting there freezing in, in the uh, Archivo in the Araucanía that families would come in asking for some of these maps because they were still working on um, some type of land claims or restitution. Um, and I would see them pull up these maps and knowing sort of the history behind them, knowing who these engineers were, who these actors were and the political kind of project in which they were created, having that context, I thought, oh my God, those maps are definitely not objective. They have this 
other story to them, we should not be taking them as objective representations of what land looked like at that time. And there's a much bigger story that they're not telling. So if anyone reads my dissertation and can get at some of that history, uh, then I think it, you know, it did what it was supposed to do. Um, my hope is that since, you know, some popular Chilean historians like Thomas Miller Klubach have written on the region, he has an amazing book out that came out this year uh, about the Rankin massacre that it will encourage future generations of graduate students uh, in this country to not only write more about Chile beyond the dictatorship, I feel like there's a lot of uh, work that's been done on the dictatorship period, but there's so much in English that we still haven't covered on the earlier time periods that I think we really need to. Like, even if you wanna talk about violence, there's a lot more uh, to get into in this early period. Um, so I really hope that grad students in the future will will take up some of this work. And, and also, I think it would help us in terms of teaching. I think that a lot of the time when in this country, when we think of Chile and we think of teaching Latin American history, we just think dictatorship. And there's so much more to Chile than, than this dictatorship. And I hope that um, by expanding the literature beyond the dictatorship period, even though understandably so we you know there's a good reason why we focus on it I, I think it'll help us not only become more well-rounded researchers but also more well-rounded teachers it sounds like excellent reasons for for this work uh i'll just clarify in this country you mean the usa because uh we're yes amy is in the usa i'm in mexico but yeah <laughs> we don't yeah. cover uh, chilean history very much in the uk which we can hopefully change. Well, yeah. Yes, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, so moving on to the, the, the next topic is, uh, so you've decided to you know, pursue a new career, um, which you know, could be a, a daunting task for, for anyone. And I was wondering if you could talk us through your decision to, to leave academia uh, and how you dealt with the experience and decided on your new career. Oh, I missed the first part of that question. Sorry, I know. Yeah, we, we got the leader. Uh, so uh, can you talk me through your decision to leave academia uh, and the reasons, the reasons for that, uh, how you dealt with the experience and how you decided on this new career? Yeah, so I think the first, my first instinct is to say the market, the job market. Um, that was very influential in deciding to leave academia, the longer kind of answer would be that I think during the, when all this COVID stuff kind of went down, I think it gave us a lot of opportunity to think. And I think for me, it gave me a chance to think very seriously about a few things that I had been, um, that I had been dissatisfied with for some time. So one of them being feeling, you know, besides the financial instability of going through visiting positions, postdocs, until I hopefully got a tenure track job, I also began to think about some of the sacrifices, some of the personal sacrifices that I had made as a result of this um, path that I was on. And I think that they became even more obvious to me um, in those early kind of days of the pandemic, because my mom is a 
registered nurse and she was more on more than one occasion on the verge of being deployed to the ER or the ICU. So the, the realities of COVID were right at my door and I began to think, well, I really feel like I wanna make some of these choices on my own. I wanna be able to decide where I'm gonna live, how often I see my family, do I wanna be away from my family? Um, yeah, I think it brought out a lot of existential stuff for me. Um, and even though obviously I, I still love history and I'll love it forever, I felt like I was at a different point in my life than I was when I started this, this career. And there were certain things that I was no longer willing to make sacrifices for. So yeah, I began looking into other options and my mom, of course, as a nurse, I would come from a family of nurses and she had tried to persuade me for many years since I was a teenager to do nursing. And I really wanted to be the rebellious one and say, no, I'm doing history. I'm doing my own thing. But I revisited that career again with a fresh set of eyes. And I really wanted a career where I felt like, one, I was going to do something positive for someone other than myself. And two, I would be, I would still have a certain degree of intellectual stimulation. I would be curious about the job. I could still do research. I could still possibly teach if I wanted to. And yeah, can I research in this job? Are there multiple paths and job opportunities that I can take that would still, I'd be curious at the end of the day, I'd still feel that same um, kind of joy that I feel when I'm able to pursue certain creative and intellectual pursuits. Um, and I found that nursing kind of checked all those boxes, right? So I could do the nine to five, I could be a researcher, I could be a professor. And yeah, nursing just seemed to be it. It hasn't been an easy transition at all because I'm not good at math. Science is still hard for me, but it's been satisfying in a way that I think it wouldn't have been if I had done it straight out of high school. So I'm looking at it with a fresh set of eyes and I, I'm finding things that I do like and I'm open to liking this new path that I'm on, which I think helps. Great. Um, <clears throat> hopefully your, your knowledge of history will help you with dealing with all these challenges as well. Um, so the final question is, is really you know, kind of tackling that big existential question, which is you've now completed your PhD and you've switched to a new career. Uh, so now that you've, uh, how have you reflected on this experience and ultimately do you feel it was worthwhile? Yeah, I mean, we were, we were talking about this a little earlier. I, I had, I filed this morning, so it is pretty fresh on my mind. I haven't had so much the chance to reflect on it being over because it just ended technically this morning, but I have had a chance as I was wrapping this up and getting ready to defend to think about all the people that I met along the way throughout the, the eight-year journey that I have. And I think if I'd gone into nursing right out of undergrad or right out of high school, I wouldn't have done any of the things that I did. And I wouldn't have pushed myself to live in another country and meet other people and travel as much as I have and meet the people that I was fortunate enough to interact with. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like no regrets. I think I did exactly what my fourth grade self had dreamed about doing. Like, can I read a history book all day? 
are you kidding? That's amazing. Um, so yeah, I think no regrets, you know, I think I will likely go on into whatever career I end up with, hopefully nursing. Um, and I'll always have the satisfaction that I got to do what I loved. So, yeah. Right. Very positive way to finish it. Um, so to conclude, uh, thank you again, Amy, for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so, uh, yeah, so oftentimes you lose some great people in the academic space, but we wish that uh, you have great success in your new career. And we thank you for your contribution to history. I hope that you can carry on your caring efforts in your future work and continue to support the development of an inclusive and considerate society. As a doctor of history and with the experience over the last few years, I'm sure this will all help you to achieve this. Thanks. Fingers crossed. <laughs>